To Luke's Gospel, we return this morning. We'll pick up at the beginning of the fifth chapter, Luke chapter 5. Jesus' ministry has begun in earnest from Luke's perspective, and we've been given a sampling of it in Luke chapter 4, teaching, healing, and exorcising demons, but mainly and especially preaching will mark the ministry of Jesus and fill it. And preaching is exactly what we find him doing again in today's passage. Now we know from John's gospel that um, after Jesus' baptism and temptation, Jesus for a time uh, preached in Judea and overlapped there for a while with John the Baptist. Uh, But after John's imprisonment, uh, Jesus returned to Galilee, where we find him continuing this morning, now calling his first disciples. It is here in Galilee that Jesus will conduct most of his public ministry, the area in which he had grown up, the place where he knew the people well. And we can imagine that there were several reasons for Jesus to remain in the Galilean region, uh, regarded at that time, by the way, as a very insignificant place, especially in comparison with Jerusalem in Judea. Not least among those reasons must have been the venomous hostility uh, held by and demonstrated by the religious leadership in Jerusalem for Jesus and for his message. Uh, In Galilee, by contrast, Jesus found a a willing reception far from the temple and from all of the religious bureaucracy. And there alone is something uh, for us to mark and to note, something we see the same uh, today often enough. The rejection of truth by uh, clerics, And scholars, uh, while ordinary people receive and embrace the truth with joy, may we be uh, found among the latter this morning, receiving and embracing him who has summoned us just as he did them long ago on that morning on the Sea of Galilee, also known, by the way, in the passage this morning as the Lake of Gennesaret. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the word that we may indeed be found among those who receive the truth and that deeply with joy and gladness. You have called us to be your disciples. Call us again and remind us what it means to be your disciples in every way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, 
He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. A couple of winters back, I made a trip for something I can't remember now, uh, particularly, specifically what it was, to the hardware store down the street here in, in Philpot. The roads were clear enough, but there was still some packed snow and ice in the parking lots along the way. And uh, after picking up what I needed, and upon coming out of the door of the hardware store, I first heard it and then saw it in the next uh, parking lot over, a uh, semi-truck. A uh, trailer half cocked, uh, stuck on the ice. The engine gunning, tires spinning. And uh, here I am, uh, dressed in my uh, sport coat and tie and slacks and uh, dress shoes, probably. Uh, but I can't resist. So I walk over to the truck and grab hold of the mirror with one hand and the handle with the other and pull myself up and put my face in the window open already by this time of the truck. And um, my first order of business, of course, is to impress this fellow with my stunning skills of observation. Stuck, huh? Yeah, uh, you can imagine what he's thinking now. Probably don't want to, but he said, uh, "Yeah, uh, stuck." Now I don't want to. Uh, I don't know how long this fellow's been uh, driving a, a truck, and I don't want to sound uh, condescending or anything. But I really do want to help him, and so I go ahead and and half suggest, half ask if he's, uh, you know, considered the obvious. I guess you've. Uh, tried the interaxle differential lock, you know, I point to the switch on the dashboard. And now at this point, I'm thinking that what he's thinking to himself is 
who does this guy think he is to come and tell me how to drive a truck? And in a sense, he was exactly right to think it. I'm the professional driver. Now buzz off, Mr. Suit and Tie, and let me get my work done. I can't help but wonder if there wasn't just a little bit of that going on in Peter's head when Jesus, the carpenter, turned preacher, turned to him in the boat that he'd just been using as a pulpit and said to him after the sermon, Simon, put out in the deep water over there and throw down your nets. Now Simon didn't mind Jesus preaching from his boat. He didn't mind even skippering his boat around for the Lord to uh, accommodate the Galilean rabbi. Things were good and well while Jesus was the preacher and Peter was the fisherman. But you know that when Jesus, the preacher, started giving orders for the fishermen, the slightly impetuous captain of this vessel, even if it only was a 26-foot fishing boat, had to be a little offended. A little taken back. For one thing, Peter was the professional. He'd been doing this all his life. What did the carpenter from Nazareth know about fishing? And for another, he'd been up all night with his partners, casting nets, raking them back by hand, empty, empty, empty again. All night long, In the darkness, they had fished. Now the sun was shining. Its rays were sparkling deep, penetrating through the surface of the water. There weren't any fish to be caught. Come on, not at this time of day. And on top of everything else, they've already washed their nets and repaired their nets. They were tired. They were disappointed. They had neatly folded their their equipment, and put it away, they'd had enough. And you hear all of that in Peter's response in verse 5. Respectfully enough, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now here's the critical point. And we know him, don't we, who have read our Bibles and heard even just a few sermons on the Gospels before. I say, Peter had it in him to stop right here. To ignore Jesus' command, peculiar at the least, outrageous, ridiculous at worst. Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Let's get you back to land, my man, where you belong. But instead, he listens. He turns, he obeys. But at your word, at your word, Jesus, I will let down the nets. Peter is learning. Even before he officially becomes a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord. As a matter of fact, what we have before us this morning is a description, really, of the basic essentials of discipleship. 
What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it require? That's the most reasonable question for us to ask because we are his disciples. We're his followers. And if you're in the hearing of my voice right now and and not a disciple of his, a follower of his, and then you need to be, like you need air itself. You need to be a follower of Jesus. Like you need oxygen to live. You need Jesus to live forever. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it entail? Four things in this passage, according to this record of the calling of the very first Christian disciples, listening repenting, fishing, and leaving. First, being a disciple of Christ requires listening. You must listen to his voice. That's precisely what we find the people here doing at the beginning of today's passage. The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God in verse 1 as he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Rather than getting pushed into the water by the zealous crowd and so that they would be able to hear him better. The sight of two fishing boats on the shore brings a thought to Jesus' mind. Address them from the lake. That he did. And listen, did they. With rapt attention to every word that floated across with divine Authority across the surface of that water. And some of them, at least, were becoming disciples that day. Because that's how discipleship begins, by hearing. It's the same today. It means hearing Jesus by taking up and reading his word. The Bible, it means listening to his voice in the mouth of fellow Christians who disciple and teach us. And most of all, it means listening attentively to his voice in the preaching of his word. As Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But how are they to call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and that line is uh, that is translated into english how are they to believe in whom in of whom uh, they've never heard actually does not uh, have the word of in the greek uh, that's added that word of in the translation. The footnote in your Bible at Romans 10 gets it right. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? In him, rather, whom. Here, I messed it up already. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? The way we listen to Jesus today is by hearing him Preach, Lord's day after Lord's day, his voice in the preaching, not merely of whom, but whom we hear. Which, by the way, is why uh, jokes 
that we like to make sometimes about uh, you know sleeping through the sermon and so on, um, and we chuckle, but uh, they're not really all that funny when you think about it. Uh, even in the weakest, uh, stuttering sermons by servant ministers of God, Jesus speaks. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life, the dead receive. By listening, of course, we mean much more than just uh, the reception of sound waves by eardrums and auditory nerves, uh, and even understanding comprehension with the brain. What we mean is actively receiving with our hearts what is heard with the ear and the brain and the mind. Merely hearing sermons isn't, isn't enough, isn't good enough. Many sermons have been heard over the years, over the centuries, um, only to affect greater judgment on the hearer. If Jesus wasn't preaching in Capernaum this day, he must have been near that city, because here's Peter's fishing business um, right here. And they heard him in one sense uh, that day, but uh, many at the same time, probably most of them, did not hear him. And later Jesus made it clear that these sermons, having fallen on unhearing ears, though they heard they did not hear, only served to seal their condemnation. A different kind of sermon would displace these sermons, as we would hear later in Matthew 11, Jesus saying, You, Capernaum, same place now, You, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You must hear to be a disciple of his and really Listen, which brings me to the second point. Being a disciple of Christ requires not only listening, but second, repenting, that is, turning from sin to follow Christ. I left off a few minutes ago with Peter acquiescing to Jesus' command to let down the nets into the deep. Essentially, what Jesus was demanding of Peter was obedience in everything. Even his fishing now is to fall under the lordship of Christ, as is all of your life. Peter obeyed, and, and lo and behold, as they retrieve the nets, they come back uh, to the boat. Those that had returned empty time after time, all night long, they come back so heavy with fish, they're beginning to break. They, they, they make motions, probably mad motions, to the, to the shore. Send another boat. Get out here. Send reinforcements. Uh, 
Another boat is sent, and they, they manage to raise the net barely. And the catch that they finally get into the boats threatens to sink them. Now, these were not great ships, but if you've seen pictures of them, they weren't uh, exactly little rowboats either, based on uh, ruins some 2,000 years old from the shore of uh, Galilee. We understand these boats were over 20 feet long and some 8 feet wide. These were pretty serious boats. And if you were to say that uh, they caught a ton of fish that day, why, you might not be very far off. This was a catch like they had never seen before. Peter knew the import of it. This was miraculous. This was a miracle, and before him was one attested by this miracle to be the Son of God. And as awkward as the moment was, with fish flipping around and all of that, and his boat uh, in imminent danger of sinking, he knew where to go. Right to his knees. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's faith was new. He, uh, uh, we don't blame him if he didn't get it all exactly right from the start. Later on, he'd know a little better, would know that the solution is, is not for the Lord to depart from him, but to draw near to him with forgiveness and with the washing away of his sin. Peter was still pulling all of these pieces together. A little bit mixed up, but not completely. Fundamentally, he got it right. He saw in an instant that in the presence of the Lord, the clearest thing to our view is the sinfulness of our sin. And the closer to the Lord we get, the the more clearly we see it. Earlier he had called him master, remember that? And rightly so, we saw that in verse 5, but now he calls him Lord. And that change in titles is not lost on all observers. One old commentary makes this note. It is the master whose orders must be obeyed. The Lord whose holiness causes moral agony to the sinner. To be a disciple of Christ, of Jesus, repentance of sin must sooner or later appear in the life. And we've seen that before, haven't we? We saw it back in the temple in Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the Lord and and fell on his face, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm undone. I live among a people of unclean lips. Or hear Job say it, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Not just repentance from this sin or that sin, but repentance that says fundamentally, inside and out, thoroughly I am A sinful man, I'm a sinful woman, I'm a sinful boy, a sinful girl. I turn not only from my sins 
I turn from my sin, indeed from my very self, and bow before you, Lord. Discipleship requires no less. Listening, repenting. And third, fishing. And now you say, now you're, <laughs> now you're speaking my language, say the anglers in the house. But before you head off to the Bass Pro Shop, listen to this. Discipleship calls us to be fishers of men. Verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Uh, the words were spoken to Peter, uh, but Peter in this particular passage and the others whom the Lord calls that day, James and John and Andrew, we surmise, they are representative of all the disciples of Christ. We who are the disciples of Christ today share the same calling with, with those original disciples of Christ. Uh, for some of us, that calling means full-time fishing. You know, fishing for a living. Our friend, uh, Reverend uh, Emil Herzog, chaplain at the Davis County Detention Center, likes to talk about his work, loves to talk about his work at the jail as a chaplain in terms of uh, fishing in a stocked pond. He fishes all day long, every day. For others, it means simply fishing as often as possible. But whether it means full-time or part-time, all the time, or just when opportunity is there, they're still called fishermen. You, my brother, my sister, you are a fisherman. I'm not talking about how many trophy fish you have on the wall, like my uh, insurance agent with his... Uh, 25-pound uh, northern pike and 11-pound walleye mounted on the wall. We're talking about um, what in fishing circles is called catch and release. Catching people with the gospel and releasing them from their sin. And not that we have the power, of course, to do any of that, to free them or to catch them to begin with in ourselves and of ourselves. We haven't. That power that puts fish in the net is sovereign power, not man's. That was true of, of literal fish in the Sea of Galilee that day and of the fish in your net too. But, but man still had to throw the nets, you see. You've got to be throwing your nets. You've got to be casting your line. Your line has got to be wet. It's got to be in the water. At some point, you've got to leave the fishing club, stop talking about fishing and fishing stories, and actually get out on the water. In other words, my dear fellow fishermen, you've at least got to be talking about Jesus. To somebody. Talk to a family member about spiritual things or strike up a conversation about life and about life to come with your neighbor on the sidewalk. 
testify to someone about the goodness of God to you. Say something. Be ready with a, a short outline of the gospel with which you can present the good news to, to them at that divinely appointed time, which you never is, know is going to come until it is upon you. At least start praying for the opportunity. And see what sovereign grace and power will put into your net and hook to your line. Remember all the while what every right-thinking fisherman knows. God puts fish in the net. God puts fish on the line. Listen to this I read this week. Cast your net into the teeming shoals of humanity and see what God will catch by his sovereign grace. So discipleship means listening, means repenting, means fishing, and it means forth leaving. It means leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Just Think for a minute about what they left. They left behind that record catch. That's amazing. They'd never seen a catch like that. They got to shore and they, they left it behind. Would have been their most lucrative day ever. And they left it to follow Jesus. They left, they left their living behind. Fishing is what they did, and they, and they did it well. They were partners in business, we read. They weren't rich men, but they, they weren't poor either. It was how they provided for their families, too. Who, by the way, they also left behind, at least to some degree, for some time, to follow Jesus. They left their hometown behind. They left the place where they were comfortable, the place where their people lived the familiar sights and sounds, the places where they had grown up, they left it all. Their ambitions, their security, their safety. Essentially, any right to call their lives their own. They left on the shore of Galilee. What have you left to follow Jesus? Or maybe more pertinent and more to the point, what are you unwilling to leave behind to follow Jesus? I'll follow you, Lord, but I can't give up my hometown. I'll follow you, Lord, but uh, I can't, uh, just can't leave mom and dad behind. I'll follow you, Lord, but I just, uh, this one pleasure, this one thing from, from before, I just want to drag that one, well, let's, let's go ahead and call it what it is, that one sin, that one I want to keep. 
that when I'm not quite ready to let go to follow you. I'll follow you, Lord, but, uh, but I've got to have that career. I think that, that is one of the most impressive things that we saw in our seminary days. Uh, must have been the willingness of men and women to leave family, to leave friends, hearth and home, sell their homes, turn them into cash only to hand it over uh, to go to seminary, uh, to leave career and cars and capital all behind to let them disappear, to move thousands of miles from all that was familiar to train for fishing and then to leave that place to do the same again because that's what it meant to be disciples of Christ for them and required in their cases. Oftentimes, God has been willing, as I look back at those folk, to give many of those things right back to them for his sake. Always, though, God more than makes up for them according to his mighty promise that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. If your chief desire right now is to keep your life just the way it is right now, and as comfortable as you can possibly keep it, then you are not following Jesus Christ. Discipleship wants not what I desire for me, but what Jesus has for me. When I let loose my grip on what I have so that Jesus may fill it with what he has for me. Whatever it is, that you're still clinging to and dragging along with you, dear flock, that you've just got to keep, you've got to have, you'll follow Jesus, but you've got to have and keep this. Let it go. Just let it go. You can't keep it in the long term anyway. Whatever it is, you can't. And whatever it is, it cannot begin to compare with what Jesus has to replace it with. In exchange for wet nets and boats that they prized, 
And one time so precious to them, Jesus gave them places in the kingdom that would last forever. Jesus gave them, for Capernaum, the earth. For their local businesses, he gave them names in his book that we know and admire to this day. For their fishing knives, he made them authors of books and letters that bear their names in the sword of God's word. Who knew the names of Peter and John and James? Nobody, and nobody would remember them either had they kept fishing for fish and fishing for men and disciples of his. They found an everlasting place in his history. For piles of fish, he gave them multitudes. Who knows the number of men and women boys and girls who've come to know the Lord through Peter and John and James. Men and women, boys and girls who will be thanking them for the rest of eternity for their willingness to follow Jesus having let go of everything else. Hardly a wiser word was ever spoken, my friends, than those of the missionary martyr Jim Elliot, a faithful fisherman, if ever there was one who uh, didn't live to see, but will one day the full nets of his fishing who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.